morning. You guys doing well? Good. Great to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. You guys ready for a Bible study? I am too. Here we go. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. This is our Thrive Teaching Series, Habits of Grace. We're going to talk about ministry. So we're going to wrap this up next weekend. So we got one more. And then after that, we're going to kick off a brand new teaching series through the gospel according to Luke. We're calling it Certainty in a World of Doubt. We're going to kick it off with kind of a Christmas theme because the first two chapters of Luke really talk about the birth of Christ and kind of go through all the different things that are going on there. And so that's where we'll begin in a couple weeks. But we'll wrap this up next week in let me ask you this question, show of hands, how many have ever seen the movie Rocky One? The first one, show of hands, okay, yeah, a lot. How many have seen all 20 of the movies? <laughs> Rocky movies, okay. I don't think there were 20, but it almost seemed like it, didn't it? It just kept making one after another. I think they're coming out with another one here this year. Anybody remember when that, was first, when that first came out? 1976, who said that over here? Somebody? Wow, you got a good memory, 1976. Some of you weren't even alive. And, uh, and in fact, some of you, uh, you were born before they even invented movies. <laughs> Anybody there? Okay. Okay, in that movie, it's interesting, uh, Rocky won in that movie, there's a scene, you know, he's getting ready for the big fight and, and uh, he's running through the streets of Philadelphia and he runs up uh, the stairs of, I think it's the art building there, downtown Philadelphia somewhere. You guys are familiar with the scene there? And so he said, the music is playing in the background, da, 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 and he's just like, oh, he's all hyped up, and, and uh, he runs to the top of the stairs, and you probably wouldn't recognize this, but at the top of the stairs, there's a guy in a green jacket that says, go, Rocky, go, and that's, that's all you ever see him in the movie. And let's just uh, hypothetically say that that's you, and so the movie is coming out, and uh, you rent the theater, uh, for that special event with the opening night of the movie and you invite all your family and friends to come and see a movie all about you. <laughs> and so, I mean, they, they, they flood the theater, all your friends are there, you're hanging out with them. You're like, yes, it's all about me. And as they watch through the movie, they're trying to figure out, well, where, where are you? Where are you in the movie? And then all of a sudden, you come up, and you're at the top of the stairs. You go, go, Rocky, go. That's me. And everybody goes, okay, yeah, that's cool. And then as they kind of walk out, as you walk out together from the movie, what would they be maybe saying to you, that you're delusional? <laughs> yeah, probably. They would say, hey, uh, let's, let's have a cup of coffee here. Let's sit down and talk about this. You don't have the leading role. You don't even have a supporting role. In fact, you're an extra, and we wouldn't even have seen you unless you pointed yourself out to us. You guys know what I'm saying? And I think that's a great analogy of what I want to share with you this morning. Many people are just as delusional because they think the movie of life is all about them. They think that the movie of life, this life, is all about them. We tend to promote that here in good old God bless America. And with that delusion, we are oblivious to the grand story of the glorious and beautiful creator of the universe that is unfolding around us and his invitation to us to join him in the most exciting drama that has ever staggered the imagination of man. See, there's a, there is a story that has been going on uh, a long time before you arrived on this planet and it will go on a long time after you exit this planet. And I'm not saying that you don't matter, but what I'm saying is that the movie of life already has a star and the star is not you or me, okay? And, uh, and in fact, when you encounter Jesus, you get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you are forever, forever changed. It's about him. It's all about him. It always has been. It always will be. It's all about Jesus. And that's why our mission statement here at Desert Breeze is we want to help unchurched people. Unchurched people would be those that are both believers and non-believers who are not connected to a local church family. We want to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ because we're convinced, as Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, 
I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. We're convinced that full devotion to Christ and fullness of life are one and the same pursuit. Everybody on this planet wants to be happy, and you'll never be happier than when you are fully devoted to Christ. That's what you were created for. That's why you draw air into your lungs, and the more you understand that, the more you live that out, the more you will, you will live life to its fullest because you are fully devoted to him. When we urge people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, we are inviting them to a full life of being a character in and a carrier of the great story of redemption through our Savior Jesus Christ with infinite and eternal implications. And so God is not in the way of your happiness. There's people out there that think God is in the way of their happiness. No, he is our most satisfying reality. He's our most satisfying reality, knowing him, walking, walking with him, experiencing him, and being used by him to touch a world that is lost without him. And so we're going to talk about this morning, really the essence of this full devotion to Christ, the characteristics of it, and the motivation and power for it. But before we take a look at this text, unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment here, talk to God, ask for his help. So Father God, we love you. We love spending time with you as we have expressed ourselves in worship to you in response to all that you've done for us and now we worship you in the study of your word. Father God, your unsearchable greatness and unimaginable goodness are incomparably captivating and comforting to our lives. Our sinful tendency is to, to live our lives trying to hijack your beauty and glory by making life all about us. Teach us the essence, the characteristics, the motivation, and the power of full devotion to your son, Jesus. May our lives be filled with wonder, love, and praise as we learn to live our lives for his fame and the renown of his name. We pray these things in his glorious and beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. I'm going to... So, Typically, when you study the Bible, you go observation, interpretation, application. We kind of try to do that when we study together. And uh, so as I read through this, kind of do your own observation. I'll, I'll point some things out to you, and then from there, we'll kind of work on through the interpretation and application, we'll kind of blend that together. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The therefore is about the first 11 chapters. He's just just has given us this very profound gospel message. And he's saying, because of this, if this gospel message gets a hold of your life, and the word brothers here also means brothers and sisters, the footnote says that. He says, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a response to all that God has done for us, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on to kind of explain what that looks like. So, so a living sacrifice, what does that look like? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what he's saying here, and we've talked about it many times here before, is that your life is either being shaped and formed more and more like the world, or it will be more and more shaped and formed in, according to God's word. That's what you want. That's called holiness, wholeness, sanctification. And, and he can, explains it a little bit more too. Uh, so do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then he's going to go into this even a little bit more detail, for by the grace given to me, so as your life is being shaped more and more by God's word as opposed to the world, he says, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, that's accurate understanding of who you are and who you are in Christ, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. Now he's going to use this analogy, the, the important role that we all play within the body of Christ, using the, the human body as an analogy, as a picture of the church body of Christ, Christ being the head, we, his body. And so he's helping us to understand the role that we play here. 
in a, this idea of living sacrifice in response to the gospel message. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So if you're a believer, God has given you gifts, and he's saying, so let us use them, those gifts, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Okay, so, so here we go. The essence of full devotion to Christ. If you really understand the gospel, Romans 1 through 11, that not that you've gotten a hold of it, but it's gotten a hold of you is what he's saying here, then this is how you will live. Um, so before I give you the fill in the blank, Let's talk about the gospel just for a moment because you need to know what the gospel is and a lot of times, there's a lot of American Christians that don't know the gospel. They confuse the gospel with moralism. They think, oh, the gospel, yeah, I gotta be a better person. That's not the gospel. Oh, the gospel, yeah, God forgives me of all my sins. Well, that's kind of the result of the gospel, okay? That's, you're kind of getting close, but, but, but the gospel, you need to know the gospel. A lot of people don't know the gospel. A lot of Christians don't know the gospel. Or I don't know, even know if they're Christians, but they're, they claim to be Christians and they don't know the gospel. Here's the gospel message. This is what he spent 11 chapters telling us. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins and all who repent and believe in him, in the finished work of Christ on the cross, have eternal life. By the way, the word repent there, repentance, sometimes people look at it as a negative, but it's a very positive word, repent, is uh, Romans 2.4 says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So there's something that takes place in your life and you begin to realize all that Jesus has done for you and you go, yes, I'm putting my faith in him. I want him. You're turning towards him. You're turning away from whatever you've tried to build your sense of identity and security and significance on and you're turning it towards him and you have this eternal life which is not just a quantity of life. We all want to know that when we die, we go to be with him for all eternity. That's called heaven. We all want to know that but it's much more than that. It's a slice of heaven on earth. It's not just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life unlike you've ever, ever experienced. There's no amount of money, there's no relationship, there's no anything in the horizontal that can only give to you what is in the vertical in your relationship with God. That's the fullness of life. And it's a result of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's the gospel. And he says, man, when that gets a hold of your life, this is the kind of person you're going to be. Here's your fill in the blank. Your life will be a living sacrifice. It's in response to all that Christ has done for you. A living sacrifice. Now, we've got to define this what, this, what this means as we walk this out. And the first thing, next fill in the blank, is that it is ongoing. So this living sacrifice is ongoing. Now, this is an interesting word because living sacrifice, I don't know if you, as you think through that, it's make your life a living killing. That's what he's saying. Isn't that weird? That's kind of odd, isn't it? Living killing? A living killing. Make your life a living killing. Now, he's using a little bit of this, a picture of the Old Testament. They did a lot of sacrifices in the Old Testament. All those sacrifices were pulled to the pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, which was in Jesus. But the Old Testament sacrifice was for salvation, it was actually uh, atoning for sin and making them right with God. And so the Old Testament sacrifice was for, for this atonement for sin and was, was over once you offered it. Once it was done, it was, it was done and then they would have to come back kind of annually and, and do these sacrifices. But the New Testament sacrifice is in response to our salvation. We have salvation so we're responding to God for all that he's done for us. And it's ongoing, it's constant, it's unending, it's a lifestyle. So it's this living sacrifice, so it's ongoing. As one pastor put it, the trouble with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> you and I keep crawling off the altar, okay? We do. 
We come to church, we say, I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to give my life to Jesus. Yeah, woo. Then we get in our car and someone cuts us off on the freeway. (laughs) And where does that living sacrifice go? Right out the window. We crawl right off the altar and give them, hey. You know, I mean, we don't. So, I mean, it, it can work our way out in a lot of different ways in our lives. And so it's ongoing. Here's the next one. So we've got to define it in a little bit more detail. So if it's ongoing, what does it involve? It is a death to your will. It is a death to your will. Verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. So it's his will. It's not your will. It's about his will. You put to death, you kill, you sacrifice the idea that you know best and that you have a right to live as you please or as you choose, and you give it to God. And it feels like a death, but it leads to life. It feels like a death, but it leads to life. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. You'll never, ever, ever be more alive than when you are fully devoted to Christ. When you die to your dreams, desires, and demands, and you live for his dreams, desires, and demands for you, you'll never, ever be more alive than when you are fully devoted to Jesus. That's the point. That's the point that he's trying to get across here to us. And uh, there has never been a culture in the history of, of the world that is more adverse to the essence of what it means to live the Christian life. I mean, because in our culture today, it's all about expressive individualism. That's our culture. That's the words of our culture. Express yourself. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart, your desires, your dreams, your demands. And in fact, you can find a church that will reinforce that for you. And they will show you kind of how God's here to serve your dreams, your desires, your demands. There's churches out there. You can turn on the TV and listen to guys preach that stuff. It ain't about you. It's about him. And so this living sacrifice has to do with dying to your will. And you're never more alive. You're never more alive. Jesus talked about it. I mean, he talked about it. I was, I was studying this morning in the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, and he just says, uh, he says this. It was, I found this really fascinating. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would, loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Do you hear it? It's in, it's in Jesus' words, a living sacrifice. You try to grab all that you can in life and try to make life all about you. You're going to lose your life. That's what he's saying. But you give up your life for me and you put me at the center of your life, you're going to find life unlike you've ever experienced before. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what he's saying. That's what this idea of living sacrifice is all about. And so that's the culture we live in. And, and I see people do this all the time. I see, I see people shake their fist at the real God. They're mad at God. I well, why are you mad? Well, This happened to me. So you're shaking your fist at the real God because he won't give you your pseudo-God? Is that what you're saying? Because he didn't follow through some way? You didn't realize what you had in God. See, if you you come to God and say, I will serve you if, if you do these things, then whatever is at the end of the if is your real God. That's your real God. Not the God of the God. You're just using him. You're on the throne. He's not. He's serving you. And there has not been a culture more adverse to that idea. People don't want to hear that. That's why we've got churches that are packed full of people and they're making it about them rather than him. Does that make sense? You've got to know the difference because it'll, it'll ruin you, it'll wreck you, it'll mess, mess with you because it isn't about you, it's about him and when you begin to live for him, that's where you're gonna find the fullness of life that he has. So let me walk this out really quick. So this living sacrifice, what does that mean? Let me, let me lay some, some heavies on you here, some heavy things here. It means that I obey him, I obey all that he says, I obey all that he says whether I agree with him or not. I I obey all that he says. So has he told us and given us directives and guidelines 
and guardrails and commands for our lives in this book, the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. For our sexuality, for our finances, for our relationships, every dimension of our lives. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do all I can to obey him in all that he says, whether I agree with him or not. But it's going to get harder. Here's where it gets harder. I'm going to accept all that he sends into my life, whether I understand it or not. Show of hands, how many have ever experienced something in your life and it went way beyond your understanding and it really shook you to the core of your being and maybe even to this day it kind of shakes you up because there's no rhyme or reason for it. Show of hands, show of hands, show of hands, yep. All three services, all three services. I saw a lot of hands. Yeah. Let me ask you this, can you accept that? Can you accept that coming through your father's hands, whether you understand it or not. Just because you can't come up with a reason for it doesn't mean that there aren't a, doesn't mean that there isn't a reason or thousands of reasons. I'll guarantee you there are thousands of reasons that only in eternity we'll be able to see and we'll go, oh, how dumb of me. Yeah, you told us live by faith, not by sight. Oh, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. Ah, oh, I just need to learn how to live by faith. Exactly. Don't wait until then to figure it out. Don't get all worked up. Don't get all anxious. Don't get all depressed. Just believe that God has a reason for those things that don't make any sense to you, but they make a whole lot of sense to him. So it's not only obeying all that he says, but accepting all that he sends. And the only way that you can do that is the third one is that I'm going to trust all that he is, whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to trust all that he is because it all comes back to these three attributes and when we don't really embrace these three attributes and live in the reality of these three attributes, this is where we get anxious, angry, and depressed about life and about the circumstances of life. The first one, you've heard me say it many times before. I'm going to drill this into your head. And uh, I didn't say thick head, did I? I just said head, okay. Because I need it drilled into my thick head. And so... Uh, so he's perfect in love. He's perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, and unlimited in power. There's nothing that happens to me by happenstance. It's not an accident. He's in control. I don't see all that I need to see, but the Bible is very clear. We don't live like that because we've got to believe and begin to see into the realm, the spiritual realm that only faith can take us there. That he's perfect in love. He's infinite in wisdom. He's unlimited in power. And I'm going to rest in him and I'm going to trust in him. It tells us that in 3, 5, 6. Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge doesn't mean just tip your hat towards him. It means cultivate intimacy with him. And then you'll begin to be able to walk through those things. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's for you. He's not against you. He sacrificed his son for you. He's got you covered. Trust him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So that's living sacrifice and, and it is a really wise way to live. It's a really a wise way to live. And if you're not living that way, it's gonna create inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression and all kinds of negative emotions. Verse one, it says, which is your spiritual worship. The word worship there means service or ministry. That's what we're talking about this morning, ministry. But the word spiritual is an interesting word. It means reasonable or rational. Just this is a smart way to live. This is a wise way to live. Now, I know that uh, Desert Breeze attracts a lot of unchurched people. We have a lot of people that come in here that are kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, trying to figure it all out. And I know about now, usually, if you're sitting in a message like this, you're going, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. This whole living sacrifice thing, oh. So let me kind of walk you through some rationale as it relates to this living sacrifice, as it being a really wise way to live Everyone lives and sacrifices for something. Everyone, not just Christians, but non-Christians, atheists, we're all living and sacrificing for something. We're all gonna give our lives to something. That's, you can't exist unless you do that. There's something at the center of your life. And so, anything less than God will let you down. He is the only Lord that completely forgives you when you fail him and totally fulfills you when you get him. If you live for career success or romance or family or possessions, 
and you don't meet your expectations, it will be terribly unforgiving. It'll beat the heck out of you. But even if you do meet your expectations in any of those areas, whether it be career success or romance or family or possessions, even if you do meet your expectations, it will be terribly unfulfilling because it's not big enough to fill the hole in your soul that was made for God. Not only that, with with anything other than God at the center of your life, it will create a disorder to your life. Listen to what one theologian put it. Put it this way, we were made to know and treasure the glory of God above all things, and when we trade that treasure for images, everything is disordered. So we trade that for images. Images would be pseudo-saviors, counterfeit gods, careers. I mean, things that are good things that we've turned into ultimate things. Things that have become our ultimate source of identity, security, significance, our ultimate love, hope, and dreams, rather than God. And so he says, and when we trade that treasure for images, everything is disordered. Now listen to what he says. It's really a great analogy here. He says, the sun, S-U-N, the sun, S-U-N, of God's glory was made to shine at the center of the solar system of your soul. And when it does, all the planets of your life are held in their proper orbit. But when the sun is displaced, everything flies apart. The healing of the soul begins by restoring the glory of God to its flaming, all-attracting place at the center. We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. Anybody do that here? I'm going to really boost my ego. I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon. No. Why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Indeed, what could be more ludicrous in a vast and glorious universe like this than a human being on the speck called earth standing in front of a mirror trying to find significance in his own self-image? Isn't that interesting, interesting insight? So let's talk about the characteristics. So that's... That's this, the essence of full devotion to Christ. It's a living sacrifice. It's ongoing. It's a death to your will. It's a really wise way to live. So here's uh, full devotion to Christ. This is what we teach here at Desert Breeze. We just finished up a class of over 50 that graduated uh, the class. If you're here at the first part of the service, you probably saw the list that was up on the screen. And we take uh, people through this class. A lot of people go through this class. We take anywhere from 50 to 100 folks through this class every year. And if you haven't taken this class, this would be the next class you need to take. We'll be offering it in about five years. Okay, we'll be offering it next year, right after the first of the year, right after the first of the year. And so you're going to want to sign up for it. But I'm basically taking you, just giving you a summary statement of what that looks like. Fullness of life, full devotion to Christ, 5G process. Here it is, and this is a living sacrifice. This is what it looks like. The first G, anybody know what the first G is? Genuine, genuine Christian. You make a commitment to Christ and to a local church family, and you make that public through water baptism. That's the first thing. So this is what's going on in the heart of a genuine Christian. And anytime you look at the cross, this is what should come to mind for you and I, that I and you, you and I, are more sinful than we ever dared to think, but we are more loved than we ever dared to dream. That's a statement that I've said over and over again. I'm gonna keep saying it over and over again until you memorize it because you need to know it. Because you need to have the balance of that, those, two, those two statements together. So I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. When we look at the cross, I am more sinful than I ever dared to think, but I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. Now let me, let me kind of take you a little bit further into that, of what that does to us and how it begins to transform our heart, and this is how the cross transforms us. How could you ever, how could you ever be self-righteous, holier than thou, condescending, condemning to anybody on this planet, feel better than anybody, if you were so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. There was no other way for you to be reconciled to the Father. All of your good efforts would never achieve that. And so therefore, that humbles you. One of our biggest problems is pride. It's, it, it comes kind of in two different forms. And one is this self-absorption. It comes in the, in the form of boasting about all that I've accomplished. Look how great I am. And then you realize all my greatness could never, could never build a bridge across the chasm of sin that separates me from a holy, righteous God. And I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. But how could I ever... 
how could I ever get down on myself or feel inferior to anybody or beat myself up if I understood that he loved me so much the God of the galaxies came to this earth to die in my place for my sins, to redeem my life and to reconcile me back to the Father. How could I ever, how could I ever get down on myself? So that kind of eliminates really the two big issues of self-absorption, which would be both pride and fear, or pride and self-pity. Pride is, I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished. Self-pity, I deserve admiration because of how much I'm suffering. And we get down on ourselves, and we feel, you know, we cower to others. And that's crazy. So there should be this balance of humble confidence. That's the first thing. The next G is a growing Christian. So if you're genuine, you're going to be growing. And growing is someone who's made a commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. You pick up your Bible. You're going to begin to read your Bible. You pray. You want to spend time with God. You want to hang out with other Christians. We call them small groups here or life groups. And this is what you're doing. I need to think out the implications of the gospel for every area of my life. And so uh, I didn't give you the, the, the Bible verses that this text is based on. And you can see there on that first one, the genuine, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, think of yourself with sober judgment. I just, I laid that out for you. That's what he means. Uh, it, this, that's an accurate judgment of yourself, humble confidence. And so the growing one, here's the, the verses in our text. So verse one to present your bodies means your whole life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, so here's all of our problems. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z. See, some, and I, I was raised in an environment where they said, oh, you gotta move on beyond the gospel. Oh, you got the gospel? That's elementary. You need to move on to something much deeper and richer. No, 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 no. No, you don't move on beyond the gospel. You go deeper into the gospel. Better yet, the gospel's got to go deeper into you. That's fundamentally what's wrong with us when we're struggling, whether it be our finances, our marriage, or whatever it might be. It's because there's some aspect of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for me that I'm failing to apply specific to where my heart is most restless or where I'm most struggling. There's some aspect of the gospel that I don't understand and I'm not living in the reality of. And so becoming a growing Christian is really about holiness, sanctification, or a wholeness where God begins to put our lives back together and we begin to apply the gospel specific to the specific areas of our life. I've got a couple of examples on my notes here. One, Galatians 2. Paul confronts Peter over his racism and he basically says you're racist because your nationality is more important your nationality is more important than being a Christian. You don't understand the implications of being a Christian and you're putting your nationality as a, over and above being a Christian. Another example, 2 Corinthians 8, where he's encouraging them to be generous and he says, you're not generous with your money because money rather than Christ is your significance and security. Ephesians 5, he talks about marriage problems. Our marriage problems are due to the fact that we're not living in the reality of the spousal love of Jesus. Believe me, husbands, you would love your wife as you should if you understood how much Christ has loved you. You're familiar with Ephesians 5 where it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That ravishes your heart and you're gonna be a different husband. But it goes back to the gospel. It goes back to understanding that and what he's done. And that becomes a reality. And, and there's a whole lot of other examples that we could, we could look at there. And so there's genuine, growing, and then we come to giving. This is where we'll spend just a little bit more time because this is what, what it's all about, but it's within the context of, of living sacrifice, full devotion to Christ, fullness of life. And so uh, the, the biblical word for giving is ministry. The biblical word for genuine Christian is fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with his family. The biblical word for growing Christian is discipleship. And so this giving Christian in ministry, we see it right here in the text. Every Christian is a minister in Christ's body. That's the first thing that we need to understand. That's your next fill in the blank. Every Christian is a minister in Christ's body. Verse 4a, for as in one body we have many members. So Paul is using the human body to illustrate Christ's body, the church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 goes through the leaders within the church, apostles, teachers, pastors, 
evangelist. It kind of goes through this list. And then what it says there, it says these, these people, these leaders are to equip the saints for the works of ministry. So people ask me, Pastor Ray, how many ministers do you have at Desert Breeze Community Church? Oh, about 12, 1,300. Yeah, every believer is a minister. When you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you immediately became a minister. My job is an ad minister. I'm here to equip you for the works of ministry. So get going. Okay? So, so you're the one that's supposed to go to the hospital. You're the one that has, is to minister to the folks around you. That's, my job is to only equip you so then you minister to the people that God brings into this place. That's the idea here. And, and that's, that's important. Leaders are to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And, um, and so therefore, there should be no there should be no passive Christians in a local church family like Desert Breeze. There should be no passive Christians in a local church like Desert Breeze. You shouldn't be coming here just to be served and then, oh, I got refueled, Pastor Ray, that was so inspiring, and then going off and kind of doing your own thing only to come back next week to be served, refueling, going back out, doing your own thing. No, 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 no. Based on what the Bible teaches, you shouldn't be coming here just to be served, but also to serve. Otherwise, you're not really following Jesus. And you are doing that to your own demise and to your own, really, destruction. Turn to the folks sitting around you and ask them, them this question. What's the difference between, in the Middle East, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? What's the difference between those two seas? Real quick, do that. Okay, so you were probably thinking along the lines of this, hopefully. The Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet. Yeah, inlet, outlet, inlet, outlet. Keeps it fresh, keeps it going. What does the Dead Sea have? It has an inlet, but no, no outlet. No outlet, it's dead. It's dead. Listen to me, you're dead. You're dead if you have an inlet, but you have no outlet. If you're not looking for an opportunity to give it away, what God has given to you, you're going to become stagnant. In fact, I've heard this over and over again, and I know this is true in my life, that when God speaks to me, and as I begin to give that away, oh my goodness, as I minister to others, I minister to even more so. It solidifies the truth deeper within my heart. Some of you need to get rolling. God has spoken to you. God has ministered to you. Now you need to give it away. You need to roll up your sleeves. You need to get involved, because I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, it will begin to minister to you. You will be healed. As you begin to pray for others' healings, you'll be healed. As you minister to others, you're going to be ministered to. As you help others, you're going to be helped. That's the idea here. So every Christian is a minister in Christ's body. Here's the next one. Every Christian has a unique shape for ministry. In the game of life, we take you through this kind of an inventory to kind of help you to understand that. That's a, an acrostic that means H or S is spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gift. H has to do with your heart. God has given you certain, certain likes and dislikes, desires. And A is abilities. P is personality. E is for your experiences, life experiences. I had to be able to come to you as a believer and say, how has God uniquely shaped you? What are your spiritual gifts? What are you, what's your heart? What excites you? within the kingdom of God? What are your abilities? What, how does your personality fit in here with the, the local body? What about your life experiences? Did you know that God wants to recycle your pain and use that pain to help others, to see him more clearly? See, that's, that's all part of it. Verse 4b, he says, the members do not all have the same function. Our form determines our function. Verse 6a, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God invites us to discover gifts we never knew we had and to be used by him in ways we never dreamed or imagined. And it's easier to discover your shape through ministry than to discover your ministry through your shape. What? What did he just say? I don't know. Here's what I said. Is that you can take all the inventories in the world... And certainly in our game of life, there are many that are discovering how God has gifted them in ways that they never knew before as they take those inventories. But here's a better way. Get involved in ministry. 
And as you get involved in ministry, as I did it a number of years ago, I didn't know that I could teach. I didn't know I could lead until I started doing it. In fact, Nancy and I were part of a, a small group, a Bible study group over at VCA where we spent about 10 years here in the valley. And it was a great church. And we were in a Bible study group. And we would all trade off in that Bible study group leading. And when I would come and lead, all the people in that group would say, wow, you really do a good job. And I go, really? Okay. And then after a while, they said, you know what? You do such a good job. Why don't you do it all the time? I go, I would love that. I really enjoy that. I didn't even know that I could really teach that well. And uh, they validated it, and I enjoyed it, and the more I did it, and then before long, I was teaching in other classes and at various levels, you know, all the way from the little kids to junior high and high school. Oh, my goodness, junior high? That's crazy making right there. <laughs> but, uh, but I did that. I taught that, taught junior high, taught high school, taught young adults, had a young adult singles group, taught at various levels. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that until I actually started doing it. That's how you begin to discover it. You got to get rolling. You got to get rolling. You, you start looking for opportunities. You go, whoa, God has so touched my life. How can I minister? How can I get involved? What can I do here? That's what he's talking about. And then every Christian's ministry is important. That's the next fill in the blank. Every Christian's ministry is important. Verse 4b, the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Verse 6b, let us use them. Oh my goodness, I, was, uh, I, I read through the Bible, and throughout every year I go a couple times through the whole Bible, and my reading this last week was in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to what he says. This is all about gifts. He says, for the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You hear what he's saying? We do that. Because if you're a foot and you look at a hand, you're going to go, I can't do that. Of course you can't. You're a foot. <laughs> do the foot stuff, okay? Quit trying to be a hand. Do the foot stuff if you're a foot. And let the hand do the hand stuff, okay? And then he goes on. He says, and if the ear should say, because I, am an, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, that would not make it any less part of the body. This is good. Little, little uh, humor here. If the whole body were an eye, that's freakish. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Desert Breeze. We're just one big eye. Where would, we, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? That's just good logic. Quit comparing yourself with others. Here's the deal. I wrote it down here. I mean, God doesn't mass produce us on an assembly line. You're not an accident. You are unique, one-of-a-kind, original. Only you can be you. No one on earth can play the role God has planned for you. If you don't make your unique contribution to your church family, it won't be made. It won't be made. That's the point that he's trying to get across here. There are some people only you can reach, some needs only you can see, some hands only you can hold. Now, the role you play is important. <clears throat> There's no doubt about it. And the tendency is to minimize the role. You know, like, I'm only a, I'm a toenail. I'm a toenail in the body of Christ. Have you ever lost a toenail? That hurts. I like my toenails. I don't paint my toenails, but I like my toenails. And, uh, and so the role we play is important, but not near as important as the one we play it for, as the one we do it for. Listen to what it tells us in, in Psalm 8410. You guys probably are familiar with the first part of that verse, maybe not the second part of that verse. The first part of that verse is, one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day is your, one day in your courts, in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. Listen to the second part of that verse. This is what he says. He says this. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Here's what he's saying. This is actually from the message. I'd rather scrub, scrub or scrub. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. 
So here's the idea. Show me the heavy end of the log. I just want to be a part because I know who I'm doing it for. If I'm going to scrub floors, if I'm going to help out in the kids, if I'm going to, whatever it's got to be, if I'm going to pass out bulletins as people come in and greet, whatever it is, I want to do it for him. Because better to do that than, than to do anything else. That's the point. So you can chase the wind, Ecclesiastes. You can have all the money in the world and you can do whatever you want to do. You can pursue all of that. That's what uh, Solomon, he, he had all this stuff and he said it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless apart from God. Apart from God. You can chase the wind, make that, make that your whole life, or you can hook up with God and change this hurting world one life at a time. Here's the next point. Every Christian's ministry belongs to all other Christians. And there's a whole list of these gifts. Uh, this is just one list. 1 Corinthians 12 gives you a list. Ephesians 4 gives you a list. 1 Peter 4 gives you a list. And so he says in verse 5 of our text, individually members of one another. Verses 7 through 8 basically is giving us that all these gifts fit into one of these categories, either proclamation or demonstration of the gospel. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says it's for the common good. Listen, your gift is not for you. It's for us. It's for me. It's for all of us. My gift is not for me. It's for you and everyone else. That's the point. It's for the common good. 1 Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Ooh, there's that word. Darren did a fantastic job last weekend teaching on stewardship, didn't he? It was fantastic. I just had someone in the parking lot just say, man, that was the best message they've ever heard on stewardship. And stewardship is that you don't own you. That's basically stewardship. You don't own you. You're created by God, and he bought you. You are blood bought. So all of your life is meant to live for his glory. That's the idea here. So he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, here's the deal. You cannot fulfill God's purpose for your life on your own. A hand or an eye cut off from the body is not only useless, but it will die. None of us individually is as effective as all of us corporately. This church outgrew me back, how old are we? 25, so about 20, 24 and a half years ago is when the church outgrew my ability to minister to all the folks that were here. Because we started in my home with 16 of us, we grew to 40, and immediately, as soon as we grew to 40 and then moved into the boys' club at 4730 Rest Grovers, I couldn't meet everybody's needs. It was really a, a body, the body of Christ, us working together and doing what we could do that only the body could do. So here's the deal. Your primary ministry commitment is where you are gifted. Your secondary ministry commitment is where you are needed. Let me give you a quick analogy before we kind of walk through the rest of this and uh, any, Chicago uh, any Chicago Cub fans in the house? Anybody? Anybody enjoy the game? Okay. You guys are kind of quiet. <laughs> How many watched the, the seventh game of the World Series or maybe some of those games? How many, that was the only time that you watched baseball all season long? You fair-weathered fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watching baseball is kind of like watching paint dry, isn't it? I should be careful. We've got, we got an ex-professional baseball player sitting in the house here. Sorry, Anthony, I didn't mean anything by that. Please forgive me. But, uh, but yeah, so you see, watch that. It's going to go down in the history books. There's no doubt about it. It's really, really quite spectacular. But let me use some uh, analogies and some comparisons here to the body of Christ and to this game. And uh, who was it more exciting for, the spectators or the participants? For the, the participants, don't get it wrong, okay? Because you're going to wreck my analogy here if you do. <laughs> the last two services wrecked it totally. They said, the participants. No, they said, the spectators. I go, wrong. No, believe me. Tony's been out there on the field. Believe me. He would much rather be out on the field than, than be in the stands. It's participants, not spectators. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Who is it more exciting for, spectators or participants? Participants. Let me help you. Part participants. Nothing in the world is quite like being used by the creator of the universe to touch somebody's life in his name. Nothing. Nothing compares. 
it beats anything else I've ever experienced. There's only one thing that beats that, and that's knowing him. It's knowing him. That's the best experience in the world. And then making him known, that's the next best. It's making him known. Here's another question for you. Was it all about one or two players or team effort? Oh, you got that one. <laughs> team effort. That's what this church is all about. Team effort. Team effort. It's not about me. It's not about anybody on the stage. It's about us. But more importantly, it's about him. It's about us pointing, pointing to him. Here's the next question. What was hanging in the balance with this game, World Series game? They overcame three to one uh, game deficit. Three to one game deficit. That was phenomenal. And, and they overcame a 108-year curse, is what they said. Isn't that crazy? So let me ask you this. What's hanging in the balance for us if, if we don't get busy and do what, what God has called us to do? What's hanging in the balance? People's lives for all eternity. Now let me ask you this. Was that World Series, is that going to be a big thing in, in eternity, in heaven? Probably not. Not unless some of those that are Christians use that as a platform to proclaim Christ. Would you agree with that? But it, it, it's not, but, but even more so. You saw all the excitement, you saw the parades. Even more so, even more so should we, we be excited and understand that people's lives are hanging in the balance. And this is what we need to know, that nothing can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, turn hatred into love, bring about repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace like the gospel. And that message has been given to local churches like Desert Breeze to reach seekers and build believers to full devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing work that God has given us. And we can't do it individually. We can only do it corporately. We have to do it together. And people's lives are hanging in the balance for all eternity, heaven or hell. Important stuff. So genuine, growing, giving, going. That's your next fill in the blank. We're going to talk about that next weekend as we do the big series finale. And then the next one is glorifying. This is why we do it. That's the next point. The motivation and the power for full devotion to Christ. A lot of people live good lives. I'm glad that there are a lot of people that do live good lives. But what separates Christians from others is why and how we live good lives. Here's the first one, not just duty, but delight. It's not just about duty. Duty's important, but it's about delight. Verse 1a, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He's, he's appealing to them. The word means he's, he's coming alongside of them and encouraging them and saying, come on, don't you see all that he's done for us? My wife gave me this quote. I had just read this book. She reminded me of it. It was a great quote from the book, Happiness by... Randy Alcorn, and this is what he says, to become happy, we must be what happy people do. We must do what happy people do. Both modern research and scripture puts the ball in our court. Happy people give generously, serve others, and seek to make others happy. Happiness doesn't precede giving and serving. It accompanies and follows it. Those who sit around waiting to be happy shouldn't hold their breath. It will likely be a long wait. The studies are unequivocal. A 2010 survey of 4,500 American adults revealed that of Americans who volunteered an average of 100 hours a year, 68% reported that volunteering made them feel physically healthier. 73% said it lowered my stress levels, and 89% reported that it has improved my sense of well-being. Arthur Brooks says research has proven that if you want to be happy, serve others. People who volunteer and give become happier as a result because the key to happiness is to labor for the happiness of others. Those who feel happy are also more productive, effective, and successful. So here's the deal. Here's, here's what he's saying. So he says, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He spends 11 chapters talking about all that we have in the gospel, and we as believers should be the happiest people on this planet Earth. And if we're not, it's because we're not living out the implications of the gospel in our life. And then out of that overflow of our lives, we begin to serve others to help them to find their ultimate happiness in God, and it increases our happiness that much more. Oh my goodness, that's a great deal. I like that. I want that. That's what he's wanting us to understand. Not just duty, but delight. Not just head, but heart experience. He says, in view of the mercies of God, 
who Christ is and what he has done for us, the gospel not only appeals to our minds, but it fills our hearts, it fills up our hearts. The gospel is head, sound, and heart satisfying. It is rational and it's relational. And then it's not reluctantly, but voluntarily to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish in just a moment and I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you, give you some pastoral election advice, okay? And just give you some of that, but before I do that, let me just finish this up, and I want to challenge you here with this. In the gym where I work out, with Nancy and I work out, on the gym, there's up on the wall, and it took us a little bit to figure it out, it's this, it has this number, 168, and it took us a while to figure it out, 168, 168 hours in a week. And our trainer wanted us to understand that you only work out three hours a week. What's three hours out of 168 Here's what we're asking you to do. Pull this out, and and those of you that are already serving, thank you, thank you, thank you for serving. Thank you for being involved here at Desert Breeze. Some of you are serving way too much, and you're gonna, you need to back off a bit, but some of you need to pick up the pace a little bit, okay? And and some of you aren't serving at all, and and this is an opportunity. There is no shortage of opportunities to get involved. All we're asking for is 168 hours a week, come to one service and be served, and then maybe hang out for the second service and serve. The combination of those two are three hours, three hours out of 168. And most ministries only ask you to serve once a month. So I I figured that out, 672 hours, three hours, 672 out of 672. Fill that out, drop in the box, we'll have a ministry leader contact you. You can get involved. Let me give you, share with you a dream that I had about a month ago. It's a crazy dream. And a lot of my dreams don't have any significance to them, but this one did, and I felt like the God, that God really spoke to me. Uh, the dream was that I had a leading role in a Broadway play. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? I told you it was crazy. You guys didn't have to laugh so hard because that was kind of hurtful. Okay, I'm right there with you. And I don't know if it was a Broadway player or it was a movie or whatever, and I was heading to the performance, but I knew neither my lines or the main plot. And I freaked out. And then I woke up, and God told me that I don't have the leading role, nor do I have a supporting cast role. I'm an extra in his movie, and that he has gifted me and given me all that I need, and all I need to do is make much of him and point to him using my gifts and abilities. And immediately, man, whoo, pressure was off. Is that all? I can do that. I can do that. That's what I try to do every week. Every week. Whatever it is, just make much of him. Make much of him. How do you come to terms with someone giving himself completely for you without you giving yourself completely for him? Not to do so is not only incredibly foolish, but also terribly wicked. Now, let me give you some pastoral election advice. Vote your biblical values. And it was interesting. I did a survey at all three services. How many have already voted? How many have already voted? Yeah, it was about the same in all three services. I have two. I've already voted. And uh, so vote your biblical values. There are candidates that represent your values better than others. But regardless, but regardless of how this election goes, listen to me. Regardless of how this election goes, this I know, Job 42.2, this is Job talking about God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Daniel 4.25, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The Bible's very clear about that. No matter who is president, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. And so, let your response be less about the outcome of this election and more about being God's elect people in whom the gates of hell will not prevail against us. The Bible's really clear about that. So his glory shines the brightest in us when we are the happiest in him, especially when it is the darkest. Your response tells the people around you a lot about whether or not you're trusting God or not. So keep in mind who's ultimately in control. 
And this is where we end. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Have a great week.